Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. I'm Amina Tussauds. I'm Anne Friedman. Happy summer. Happy summer of friendship. Summer of friendship. Listen, making the celebrations we need for ourselves in 2020. That's what that is. <laughs> Happy summer of friendship. I, you know, I'm really into it. I'm really into it. What are we talking about today? Well, our book, which is out in a week, like very soon. You, you wrote a book? This, it's like you wrote a book? Stop. Our, our, my friend, our book. <laughs> um, our book, Big Friendship, is out very soon. And we are talking about friendship all summer long, all of July and all of August. And uh, today we are rewinding the clock a little bit to talk about the teen friendships that make us who we are as adults. Woo, child. So... In today's episode, we go back to talk to our high school besties. I am so excited about this episode. I can't even tell you. Like, it's been months and months and months in the making. I feel like it's been years in the making because we have, like, talked about this. We've talked about this before there was the idea that we would ever write a book about friendship. So it makes me really happy. I am really thrilled um, to do this because... I I just feel that like high school is so far away and you know that my natural trauma reaction to everything is just to forget things. And uh, it was really fun to be reminded of a lot of things I'd forgotten about. And also just, you know, my high school bestie is pretty awesome. So um, any amount of time I get to spend with her structured or unstructured is really fun. I know. And so it's worth it's worth noting that our book is explicitly about adult friendship. But in order to really talk about that and to talk about some of the patterns and expectations um, that we all bring to friendship as adults, we, in the book and in life, have talked a lot about how early friendships have really shaped us. And like, particularly when you're a teenager and you're just starting to kind of form an adult identity, a super close friendship at that age can fully chart the course of your life like I my my high school best friend Bridget who we will talk about in a minute is someone who perhaps like more than anyone I don't know I don't want to put a superlative on it but but as someone who has very very greatly shaped the person that I am today same my high school bestie Faith is someone that when I think about that like my ideal at my best self when I want to be like my most generous self and my most giving self and my most just like vulnerable and available self that is the relationship I feel that was so foundational to start understanding Mm. all of those things and also you know like just that thing of someone seeing you really stumble into young adulthood and not really have any judgment about it and someone who Faith was just someone who saw me do a lot of really dumb things and a lot of just very me things and still just unconditionally loved me and that, you know, I'm like, that counts for everything. It's true. And, you know, and one thing that I, it hadn't really occurred to me about Bridget and my other very close high school friend, Josh, those are friendships that felt so intense in part because 
they really felt like I chose them for myself Mm -hmm. in a way that maybe my younger childhood friendships did not. Like those were a little bit more dictated by who my family was friends with or things like that. And listen, I'm from a pretty small town. It's not like I had my my pick of <laughs> of like, you know, a vast world of people. But we then and now have always really felt like we chose each other. And I think that feeling of you're the kind of person that I want in my life when I'm an adult is something that is so powerful to work through together, you know, and to kind of be future oriented together, which I think is a defining feature of my high school friendships. I know. I think so much about, you know, this idea of friendships that are just rooted into the future and how much it's basically your present self trying to pull yourself into the future with each other. Um, And, you know, and with Faith, like, we were both so nerdy. We, like, our school was, like, such a, like, you know, everyone was just, like, sports and academics all the time. Like, there was, no one was really doing, like, fun, like, anything else. But she was just someone that, you know, I, everything that she thought about my grades really mattered. Everything that she thought about, like, where where are we going to go to school? And what kind of people are we going to be? And what kind of jobs are we going to have? And what kind of adults are we, you know, like, going to be walking through this world? It's been really fun to see how some of that has come true and some of it hasn't. I don't know. I just, I have really enjoyed, obviously, like, I enjoy watching the trajectories of a lot of my friends. But with Faith, it's so special because of, like, where we went to school and our specific context. And now we both live in America. And having this conversation with Faith, for me, was really eye-opening in that it really helped me see a lot of really unhealthy patterns that I have in relationships. Like, we went through this period where we were basically estranged from each other, and it was one million percent my fault. Um, because I was going through my own, you know, like my own like Amina shit and just like not caring about someone else, but watching like how that impacted her and also watching how she like 100% like forgave me and like made room for me again in her life. And again, that like unconditional love of I've known you for a long time. You're a total idiot, but you're my idiot. Um, even though we are two very, very, very different people is something that it's had like an impact on me that I don't think I'm, I understand the magnitude of quite yet. Mm. Yeah. And and I think that for me, it's interesting when I think about my friendship with Bridget, which has never really had a period of prolonged estrangement, but has definitely had phases where we are more in a daily kind of contact versus like a monthly kind of contact, you know. Um, And when I think about that friendship, I'm tempted to kind of relegate it to the past when we both felt like we were kind of nerdy outsiders and really we really only wanted to hang out with each other and like a couple other people we were not like trying to be the popular kids at our high school we like you were like not excited about high school sports or like whatever was sort of deemed to be like the dominant interest at our high school and it's interesting to think about how that feeling of like it's the two of us versus everyone else (laughs) still kind of remains like even though it's not really a versus feeling this idea that we are like a team of two and like it doesn't really matter what everyone else around us likes or does if we're on the same page is something I still associate so strongly with her and with that relationship more than any other because it was rooted in this place where we chose each other and we chose nothing else about that circumstance. Yeah, right? 
I mean, I I feel that so much. I feel that so much. You know, a thing that was really funny, too, about talking to Faith is that there's the entire narrative that you have of, oh, wow, I've changed so much since, you know, the person that I was from high school. But so much of her conversation with me was just reminding me that actually there are just things about myself that have never changed. I was like, oh, yeah, I was definitely this kind of asshole, like, for a really long time. <laughs> and, and but there was something about that that was really comforting. Like, your friend as a witness to, you know, like, mm. your own, like, evolution as a human. And it it felt really good to talk to her because it was like, okay, yeah, like... I had some, you know, some kind of ideas about my politics and like how I am in the world and, you know, like my my confidence level or my, you know, like just how much I was so not a joiner and I didn't like just trust other kids. I want to get in trouble with other kids. It was so reassuring to hear from Faith that, no, no, I've always been this person. She was like, yeah, you were like this at 16. And so it's uh, no wonder that you're like this uh, at this age. And so that felt really good. But I, man, shout out to the high school besties that stay good friends because it really, it's just fun to have someone that has known you for that long. Well, you know, let's, uh, we should probably stop talking and let our friends talk because I cannot wait to hear Bridget describe baby Anne. Hi, Bridget. Hi, Anne. <laughs> Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend. Oh, thank you, Anne. <laughs> I should say before we start that we're in a car driving down the freeway in Iowa, which, um, might be, uh, something you can hear in the background, but feels very appropriate, uh, for talking about our friendship, much of which has taken place in cars. Yes, it has. <laughs> Do you have a favorite memory of us in a car? Oh, there's so many, Anne. <laughs> oh, it's so hard. Okay, this is maybe not the top memory, but it's the one that just keeps coming to mind, so I'm going to say it. And it's probably good about being there in the best and the worst times. It's when I was trying to light your bowl for you. And <laughs> Because you couldn't do it yourself. And I don't remember if I did it or if you did it, but somebody burnt off your eyebrow. <laughs> you know? And it was just okay. You know? But we were in the car. I think you were in the front seat. I was in the back seat. I don't know why. Well, I mean, like, why couldn't we have just pulled over? It's true. Why couldn't we have just pulled, pulled over? over? The yes. story of smoking weed in the car as teens. Like, we had nowhere to be. Like, exactly. why couldn't we have just stopped... <laughs> Just preserve all of our eyebrows. Gotta keep rolling. Oh my god. <laughs> What's your favorite car memory? Well, I don't know. When I think about being in the car with you, I think about you coming to pick me up for school. There was a good like couple of <gasps> yes. years where you would drive me to school and it would have been Harold, your Nissan, I think. Yes. Well, for or Gregory for a little bit too, the Pontiac. Great. Yeah. <laughs> Bridget names all of her cars. <laughs> um, but I, I think it probably would have been Harold because Harold was like a luxury car in the eighties. Oh. Like it, 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 like there were yes. um, like electronic like things to move the seats and stuff. And I think it had a tape deck. Yes. Um, but I just have this like memory of like the the feeling of freedom when you came and scooped me up at my house, even if we were going to school like nightmare is a feeling I still get whenever I hear when doves cry. Yes. Like, because there was one day that you picked me up and it was on the radio and it was like, you were just like, oh, like, you know, you've always loved Prince and you were like, oh, like good omen, you know? Yes. And that feeling of like, your song is on the radio. Like I'm in my friend's car. Like I'm not, you know, feeling that trapped feeling. Like, I don't know. And to make it like even better, the story about being a good example for our relationship. I lived so close to our high school that to pick up <laughs> Anne, it probably made my trip five times longer. It's true. But it was so worth it. <laughs> so right. worth it. Right. Do you want to tell the story of how we met? 
I will start it, but I'm sure you can add in some good details. So we were in seventh grade and just starting out. We both went to separate Catholic schools for grade school. And then in junior high, all the Catholic kids mixed in one place called Jones Middle School. Jones Junior High. Jones Junior High. That's right. See? (laughs) I need you, Anne. I will just fact check you in real time as you go. Go on. So, yeah, it probably isn't that amazing of a story as I'm saying it out loud, but to me it was life-changing. So I remember (laughs) sitting in Mr. Outerkirk's math class, and we were just placed, luckily, in the same class, which meant we had the same class for every... Like the same same exact schedule. Yeah, same exact schedule. Mm -hmm. So we had half the day together. Uh, And I just kept admiring this other girl who looked kind of dorky, kind (laughs) of like me, but she had this awesome uh, pencil case and had cool things in it and fancy pens. But more than anything, I just thought it was awesome that she had this Mona Lisa watch and it didn't have any numbers on it. So she couldn't read it anyway, but I just thought it was like, oh, so cool. I still can't read watches (laughs) with hands very well. I'm currently wearing a digital watch. (laughs) So one day I was like, oh, I've just got to say something to her. So I said, I like your watch. And I also liked your watch. You had a very cool watch with hands that looked like a pair of scissors. Yes, Uh, I did. we, we We admired each other's watches and the that, rest is kind of history, that right? That was it. Yeah. Yeah. Life-changing. Um, when you think about our friendship in high school, like, how, how would you describe it to someone who wasn't there to witness? Uh, <laughs> you were my other. And I think it went both ways, that we both depended on each other so much. But for me, with severe anxiety, I couldn't imagine not having you there for my support like even if we weren't in the same classes like I knew you were there and you were just my you know like my person and serious serious buddy system serious buddy (laughs) system and we did everything together everything um yeah it was really like almost like a twin in a way yeah I always like I find myself um when people talk about like albums from the 90s I would be like well I didn't have that one but Bridget did which is essentially the same thing as me having it you know right it's like, yeah like, I owned in your in utero and you own Nevermind exactly and, like, yes. together we have the two most important Nirvana <laughs> albums you know it's like yeah like, there's so many like you had the Rolling Stones subscription and I had the spin subscription yes. and together we could read both <laughs> like there's so many like pre-internet like like media consumption we really you were right like like other half kind of thing right we we were Patsy and Adina like always oh, we watched so much absolutely fabulous <laughs> and I think the big difference is like without you I would have felt like a weirdo outcast because just of the things I liked but with you it was like we were cool together yeah it is true I feel like we we very much created our own definition of cool and like in the sense of I was very used to being made fun of for the things that I liked like in my you know you mentioned that we went to these separate Catholic schools like in my Catholic school no one thought it was cool that like I wore stuff that I had bought at the thrift store or that I wore Converse or that I wore like weird socks from the weird like head shop remember that place <gasps> yes what oh I can't called? remember what it was called it's gonna come to me way cool way cool oh, yes oh my God. <laughs> right like you know like it, these are things that I'm like okay when I look at like now movies and tv about like cool teen girls like I feel like we were cool teen girls I do too but we were not cool by the standards of our peers and so like being together in a friendship I was like well if Bridget thinks it's cool it's cool 
Right. Yes. Which drove my mom and my sister nuts. <laughs> With the fact, the fact that like, if I thought it was cool, it was cool. Yeah. Or if, if they didn't like what I was wearing, it was like, but Anne likes it. And they're like, oh. <laughs> and for me, I was never bullied or uh, made fun of for what I liked. But I think I just had such a fear of standing out because because of the anxiety that was like the, the my most horrifying nightmare would be to be like the center of attention so it was like being okay to be myself even if it meant it was different because I wasn't so afraid of that because I wasn't the only one one of my favorite things when I think about us in high school together is like pushing the boundaries of the school dress code oh yes like <laughs> So, so fun. Oh my God. So like our school dress code was we had to wear plain colored, non-denim, black, navy, khaki or gray pants and then a plain colored collared shirt. And like to this day, I can't wear that combo. Oh, me too. Yeah, absolutely not. But like, you know, we would push it in ways where I I would buy, like I would thrift these like vintage Levi's men's corduroys that technically met the requirements and wear those. And like you, like, I, gosh, I still remember the day that you realized that a pair of coveralls were technically in dress code oh, because yes. it was like navy pants and like a like quote unquote navy top. And we should say that like your dad was a mechanic and like strongly influenced your aesthetic. Oh, yes, it was actually a pair of his coveralls. <laughs> <laughs> and I just I just have this strong memory of you coming to school in those coveralls and just being like, well, technically in dress code. And it was like we were conspirators together in like finding out how to do our own thing within this like set of total bullshit rules. I think that was the only time ever that I was sent to the principal's office. And I just remember sitting there and being like, I don't know, check the rule book. I think I pass. <laughs> and wait, did they make you go change? I forget. No, but they ended up just saying, don't wear it again. Ugh. But, and also like now it doesn't sound like that big of a deal for like you saying you would thrift men's corduroys, but then, and especially like in the place that we lived for you to wear a pair of men's pants. I mean, that was horrifying. That's true. People did call us gay, like, like more, I don't know, like not like it was an insult. Exactly. Exactly. And I was like, not in like a cool way is what I was yeah, just about not, to say. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like, uh, and yeah, maybe it was the men's pants or like the inseparability, but, um, and I think that we were so comfortable with each other too, because like that one time when we were at the carnival, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. please describe. We went to, was it the catfish festival? <laughs> Uh, I thought it was the county fair. Okay. I don't even know why we went. Why would we have gone there? There was nothing to do. That's why yeah. we went. Yeah. But anyway, so yeah, we were walking in the fair, carnival, whatever it was, and it started to rain. And well, first, Anne is like very blind and <laughs> and she had these really thick glasses, but they started to like steam up because of the rain and it was summer. So the <laughs> condensation and she couldn't see. And there were all these cables and cords on the ground because it was, you know, the fairground. So I held her hand and was helping her walk along so she wouldn't trip. Of course I would, you know, of course we would hold hands. Of and there, I just remember this like crowd of people around us, like going, Oh, you're lesbians. You're so gross. You're gay. You're gross. You're lesbians, lesbians. And it's, and then for me, I was like, why is that? an insult yeah even at 14 I was like why is that an insult but also like why is it wrong for us to hold hands also why is anyone paying attention that's a good point you know like that's the fundamental question to me anyway I was gonna ask if uh do you think we were codependent Ooh. Uh, <laughs> so yes. we, should, we should note that Bridget is an art therapist. So like asking, <laughs> asking questions like this <laughs> yeah so were we codependent I would say yes yeah 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 definitely but we, we did have, like, we had other friends and, like, you we know. We did, yes. Yeah, and we, I mean, we still had, 
our own style too. It's not like you would if you didn't like an outfit, I wouldn't wear it. It's not like that. Right. Like we definitely had our own style, our own interests separate from each other. It's true. You were you were way darker than I was. You were way yeah. gother than I yes, was. I, like definitely. I never wore black lipstick. I was I've I've always been like irrepressibly happy it sounds so embarrassing yeah, were, to say that yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah it's like you know when remember when, when you used to say Bridget the only problems I have are your problems <laughs> I don't remember saying that that's so bitchy I no no you were being nice you were you were trying to be nice like oh, it's God. okay but I, I'm here to help you with yours or at least that's how I took it okay good I mean because when I hear that I'm like oh I just want to give her a yeah. slap baby Anne <laughs> I mean maybe we weren't codependent but like as teenagers you you are with any of your friends, I think. Like, you have have to have a, a group or something to stand on, usually. Or not have to, but a lot, in order to be strong and survive. Because your family's not really there for you in that same way. Yeah, like, say, say a little bit more about that. Because it's like, you know, I when I think about, like, teen years... It feels the same way as I feel now. Like, I'm not saying I was, like, fully adult as a teenager, but, like, the things I desired and the stuff I wanted wanted to do with my time was, like, not that far off from the things I want now. It's, like, I want my own space. I don't want to go to church. Um, yeah, you want your friends to be your priority. Yeah, I really prioritize my friends, and I like spending a lot of time with them. I don't want to eat meat <laughs> uh, whatever you know what I mean like all these all these things that were really like emerging throughout my teen years and I like so I have a lot of compassion for the kids we were in trying to like essentially like try on the adult identities that we now embody a lot easier mm-hmm. um but yeah like I don't feel like either of our families made that particularly smooth no not at all. And not to say that that is unusual at all in right. any way. But yeah, they they weren't as embracing of anything. Well, especially yours. No offense. They just were so different from you. And like didn't understand necessarily you in any way or your likes or why why your likes were important to you. Right. Or why, why for you to have different likes than them would have been important to you. Right. Different value system yeah. was emerging. Yeah, I mean, the other thing that I think about a lot when I when I think about, like, our high school selves is, like, how grateful I am. I mean, I'm grateful for your friendship in, like, dozens and dozens of ways. But one thing in retrospect that I think about is it was a real training ground for me in how to be a friend who, to someone who's going through something really difficult that they, they don't know how to, like, fix or solve or work on yet. And, um, and the fact that like that was an experience we had together when we were maybe codependent, maybe just <laughs> hanging out a lot together is something that I think that has allowed me as an older adult to feel more comfortable being a friend to people who have like maybe an illness or a disability that I don't have firsthand experience with because I had this really formative experience of being friends with you through a hard time. Right. And actually on the other end, helped me so much like now I think about all the time when I need to communicate with people about what I'm going through or the needs I have for whatever it is you know and then it was mainly depression um still sometimes I think about how I how I would communicate it to you or what you would say back to me like I guess but the things you said to me in high school have always stuck with me or what uh, yeah I think that's really when I learned so much just how to share it with someone else rather than hide it 
And back to the, this is kind of flip-flopping. Of course. Back to the codependent thing too. Um, I think also why it's hard to say whether or not we were is because so many things are behaviors in adolescence. Like, of course it could be a mental health diagnosis. You know, all, everything you do in te- you know, to your teenage years, you could... You could probably pathologize yes, in some way. Right, yeah. but it's age appropriate so that therefore you shouldn't diagnose it. Right. <laughs> now when I think about if you were like, okay, Anne, you have to live in your parents' basement, eat a lot of meat casseroles, have your schedule dictated by someone else. And your wardrobe. And your wardrobe. Have to go to church once a week. Like, I I, I would still need a buddy to survive that. I know. know. Me too. I still need a buddy, and I need you now in my life to survive what I live now. Right. Yeah. Talk about that a little bit, because I think that, like, one thing that, like, Amina and I have been thinking about a lot as we write this book is, like, the idea that a lot of people have that most friendships, not all, but most friendships have a kind of fixed time and place. And like, while they might have really worked in that period of intensity, the way we're describing like our high school years, they often don't translate beyond that. I mean, you see people go to college and get whole new friend groups, or you see like, you know, people, any big life transition, like friends kind of not coming with them. And um, I, when I look back on my life, the people who haven't kind of, the people who haven't made those transitions with me it's sort of easy for me to describe why they haven't. But when it comes to a friendship like yours, which has survived every major transition of my adult life, it's harder for me to say why it has worked, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if you have thoughts about that, about why you think we've worked for so long as such close friends. You know, I usually, when I wonder that, I usually attribute it to you because you are excellent at maintaining friendships with people for long term and long distances. And it's, that's harder for me. But I, I mean, I guess, yeah, now that you're asking me, I guess I have to give myself some credit, too. Yeah. Hello. I'm, I wouldn't I wouldn't just be like, like, I'm not friends with voids. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, <laughs> that's true. I guess the first thing that comes to mind really is that what we might consider in ourselves are flaws. Like, that's what the other person finds so lovable. Mm. And I remember being really frustrated with that not happening when I first started having like some serious romantic relationships in my life. And I was like, how can you not love this part of me that is not the best part but like how can you not find that beautiful or endearing or funny or sweet because like Anne would you Anne's know, obsessed with it Anne would, yeah Anne would make loving jokes about my sweaty hands you know it's not like disgusting I do to love her. your sweaty yeah, hands yeah so I think that was really different and now so I of course we would go through it because the things you might not want to stick through because you find you know in a relationship it's too hard like just some personality problems with other people what you see as problems in your relationship maybe is like more lovable for us I don't know yeah and sometimes I come back to like when I think about our friendship I really do think about like oh this is how family feels for a lot of people you know it feels like very much a a given to me not that I can ignore this relationship and autopilot it but it feels a given to me that you will be a part of my life forever and I think that's something that has to do with all the hours we spent together in this formative period where it like seems impossible like you knew me at this very beginning point of my of the self I am now and like there's literally no one else who knows the story like you do right and I like and I I could never ever let go of that like even if it's hard for me to imagine even if you did something really hurtful to me or if I like did neglect this relationship it's it's I I honestly cannot imagine my life without you as a person who knows the whole story of it 
Yes, honestly, I still feel like you're my other. I mean, Aww. I mean, even though I am married and I have a child now, adults have lots of types of others. Yes, you, yeah. you still do, and I do think you're my other. Or even I'll be in thrift stores a lot if I'm by myself, and I'll find an outfit that I think is like maybe a little over the edge. I'm not sure. You know how you always have to assess. Yeah. And then I'll think, <laughs> what would Anne say? And then. And then I kind of judge myself, like, you do you need Anne's approval? And it's like, it's not for <laughs> approval. It's just like, of like, yeah, do it. Yeah. I know that's going to really almost accentuate always, your hips. Or, almost or always hips, my answer is, yeah, do, do it. Do it, yeah. yeah. So it's more of an encouragement of, yeah, you can like that. You can wear that two-piece Gitano floral outfit you found. Oh, <laughs> I know. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's more the encouragement of, yeah, go do it. What about the kind of, like, long-termness of it like I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about like the things that how, I, how am I different than friends you've had for five years or even ten years um, well for one thing I think it's survived because we are not codependent as adults ah. you know like we do have very different lives but we don't compare each other's lives it's not ever competitive we both support each other whatever decision we make right you know and even if it's not the decision we would make I guess you're different in the way that I don't have to explain everything to you. You know, it doesn't have to come with a backstory. Right. I don't know. There's so much more humor in everything. <laughs> uh, that it's hard to say how it's different. Yeah. I mean, there's also this sense. I mean, I, I've, like, just been at your house where, like, I slept in a bed with you where I'm, like, you know, I have no fear about, like, picking up your baby and lugging him around and slinging him around because I don't know there's like an ease and comfort that I'm like what's yours is mine even though I like don't sleep in your bed every night and like don't like pick up other people's babies with ease or you know what I mean I mean to this day and I still think that if we ever went sledding together (laughs) and your pants got wet I I would still loan you my underwear (laughs) I mean this is okay. Did you know this though? That like at, at the Oprah and Gail's friendship, there's a story about Gail lending Oprah some underwear. Oh, in the very, no, I did not. Yeah, I mean, yes, Bridget's referring to an incident where I needed a fresh pair of underwear and she provided it. <laughs> and as I recall, it was a good pair of underwear too. It had vegetables printed on it. It did, yeah. It was like a, it was my best pair, of oh, course. I really, you can still borrow my best underwear. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I want to ask you. The future of our friendship? Sure. Want to talk about that? What's the future yeah, of our friendship? Yeah, because I, I do think about that a lot, especially, yeah, it just, as our lives are very different, I don't really see it changing a whole lot. <laughs> Honestly, the only thing, I guess I still have this fantasy that when we're older and possibly single women again, mm. we will live closer and nearby each other. I still have this fantasy of us coming back together. Yeah, and also, like, life is long you know you don't know where each of us is going to live and like that would be I think we would be very compatible roommates in old age Uh, yeah and honestly when I think about myself like in my deathbed it's you there nursing me oh 100% (laughs) yeah 100% it's same the other way like yeah yeah, like I would be there for you and I would do all the gross disgusting things to help you and you wouldn't I don't think you'd feel shame about it you know I think it's like that acceptance of of us and our our most human. Yeah. Kind of back to that idea of not just were we codependent, but like the ways our friendship has changed is like, you know, I mean, you pointed out, it's like you, you and I both have really important other people in our lives. It's not just this, like this 
very intense, the two of us against the world. And we had other friends even in high school, but I think, you know, it's grown more pronounced. Have you ever felt jealous or like, like how, how do you feel like about your place in my life and my place in yours? Uh, oh, that's a good question. I have definitely gone through flashes of a little bit of jealousy when you've talked about your other female friends, mm-hmm. but not as much anymore. Um, but yeah, I guess you just have a lot more friends. You're outgoing. You have a lot of friends. And I was always like, oh, I'm just one of them. Yeah. And it, I don't know. I guess part I'll explain more about kind of why I'm asking it is because for me, there's a handful of people who I would call best friends of my life. Right. Mm-hmm. And and um, and it's wrong to say it's like a tier where they're all best friends in the same way. But like there are definitely of the people who are closest to me, they are all special to me or I feel known by them in in different special ways and like that sounds like the kind of bullshit like I love all my children equally (laughs) but there is a part of it that's kind of like that where it's like you know like you have this special status because of like sheer longevity and like yeah and I don't mean to say that's the only reason that you are one of my closest friends but I think that like that's sort of what this episode is about in a way that like that special designation of a really long friendship formed when you're young. Yeah, maybe I guess I can think of one moment, like the year I went to the Desert Ladies mm-hmm. gathering, and I was a little nervous to meet Amina because mm-hmm. I was like, oh, you know, like I feel like that that is your other in a different way yep. in your life. And this was maybe seven years ago. Yeah, it was something. a long time ago. It was ago. a long time ago. And there were so many people there. Like I didn't really talk to Amina until like right before I was about to leave. And she said something to me about how she was a little worried to meet me. And then I just like everything changed in that moment. I was like, Oh, well we have nothing to worry about. Like, you know, we're the same. Ian loves us all. But yeah, when you say like you have a lot of people, you call your best friend. That's true. I refer to lots of people as one of my best friends, Mm -hmm. but I think you are the only one that I say my best friend. You are still, yeah, you're still the top special status, special status. Um, I love you so much. I love you too. <laughs> You're the only one I've ever had a best friend heart necklace with. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, it's so true. And the fact that like, again, markers of early friendship, right? Yes. Uh, yep. I forget. Was I friend or best? Which were you? Uh, ooh. I can't remember which half I had. I can't remember either. Okay. That's how you know it's a true friendship. It is true. <laughs> <laughs> Bridget! One of my favorite humans on this planet. A truly amazing person. Let's take a break. Do you have, like, an iconic faith memory? Like, almost like a snapshot when I say faith in high school, like a moment you picture or, like, an image that comes to your mind? It's always this, like, giggle smile with, like, deep dimples. Like, always, like, on the verge of getting in trouble. Or her, like, you know, like, grades coming back. 
we like did you did, did this happen at your school or is it just like in our schools where like whenever the grades come back they would give them from like the highest grade to the lowest grade so they're like passing out papers and so faith would always like turn around and just be like what did you get like that is my like everlasting like memory of her <laughs> it's like what did you get and then you know if she didn't get 100 or 99 like running to the teacher's desk to be like what can i do for extra credit and very much i was like eh, i'm like an a is an a like i don't care but it was really the, like those are the things like a lot of just like mischief and a lot of uh just like joy just like very intense kind of joy hi faith thanks for being on call your girlfriend hi Nation. what up <laughs> i cannot believe you're calling me that that is it is a it's a nickname that i thought i had left in the past but what was the genesis of that anyways like why why animation you know, I think that it's one of these things where, first of all, anytime my name autocorrects on iOS or anything, it's always animation instead of Aminatu. But that's like a separate issue because before we even had iOS in high school, I think all of the, like, you know, whenever like the dumb boys we went to school with would like call me something, it was always animation, which I <laughs> never understood at all. I just feel like it does not really fit my personality. So I always found that fascinating. But then on top of that, it is really funny that that's what the autocorrect for my name is. So maybe they were just onto something. Okay, so that's where that came from. That makes a lot of sense. That's how I remember that traumatic nickname, but maybe it's different. <laughs> well, now that you put it that way, I will refrain from referring to you. That's Nana. Do you have a nickname? I had like a million. Do you remember any of them? I mean, I remember Faith Olala. Yeah, that one sure. That one definitely stuck. The other one I had was a little too intense. It was Powerhouse twenty four seven. Oh, that was your like AIM or like MSN like name. <laughs> also, <was> my <laughs> first my first email address was Powerhouse something twenty four seven at hot, hotmail. <laughs> it sounds like a radio station when you say it like that, but. <laughs> <laughs> it's like welcome to powerhouse 24 7 um it's really fitting that we're starting with high school nicknames because obviously you are my high school friend that i wanted to talk to for this episode oh i just want to go back to powerhouse 24 7 i also <laughs> think and faith olella i just want to say that they're both very nigerian in context and much funnier when yes. you understand them in that context true that i will say that powerhouse triggers me a little bit because I feel like that was the lens through which I was viewed in high school as this, you know, tall, athletic, you know, powerhouse girl. And I, that's why I kind of like Faith Olala because it's a little bit more flirty and balances me out a little bit because I'm, I, that was like my journey trying to work out of that powerhouse mold. But um, this isn't a therapy session, is it? <laughs> Faith, it is a therapy <laughs> session. Unfortunately, anytime you talk about high school, it's a low-key therapy session. <laughs> true so uh man i mean i'm just curious like what were your impressions of me in high school or what uh someone who didn't know me back then like what do you think is the story of who i was in high school that's an interesting question because i feel like you were an enigma like you were hard to figure out you were hard to label because you were just so many different things so i guess people have to kind of understand the backdrop of the school we went to Tell the people. <laughs> so it was founded by Christian missionaries, strong, um, you know, Christian culture. There was sort of this mold that everyone was trying to fit into. And so there was sort of a, a, a standard, a, a code, a code of conduct. And that's sort of how we all sort of walked and talked and, 
breathed and lived and played. And then I think it's towards maybe eighth grade and in high school, we started to have these radical newcomers start to trickle in. Like <laughs> these people that is just like, who is this girl? Like what, what's her deal or what's his deal, right? And I feel like I don't really have a first impression of you because I was just trying to figure you out. And I came in 10th grade. Yeah. I came in 10th grade. So you're, you're one of said radical newcomers. Um, you weren't cookie cutter, you know, Christian. You were this, you know, worldly, exposed, well-traveled, just a big out-of-the-box thinker. I feel like you marched to the beat of your own drum, but it wasn't even a drum. It was like a ukulele. You were just like, <laughs> and it, I can't like, believe you. We're just like, wow. And I don't know what to do with her. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember it that way, but I like, I know that it was true, but I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I didn't believe that the other kids I was surrounded by were picking up what I was putting down. Let's just put it that way. Really? Um, Yes, like in the sense where our class was really small, like our graduating class was 29 people, which I think for our school was actually a pretty big class. So we're talking like high school is a universe of maybe 100 people, like definitely not 100 people, but I'm just saying 100 people to be charitable. Yeah. And most of those people have known each other since kindergarten, you know, and then you come in as a, you know, 15, 16 year old. And my sense of really like belonging was really thrown off, but also it kind of didn't matter to me because I had never had that experience of, oh, like I've been in the same school since kindergarten or I've known the same people or whatever. So in some ways it was not really intimidating, but I definitely sensed that people did not know what to do with me. And I always chalk that up to the fact that it was a very Christian school and I was not Christian. But now that you're putting it that way, I was like, oh, actually it was a lot of things. You know, it was truly, truly, truly a lot of things. But I will say that when I think about being challenged, when I think about broadening my horizons as a product of that environment, um, I think you really challenged me to, to think out of the box. You know, you don't know what you don't know. Right. And I think that there were a lot of ideas and theories that you had that were very unconventional, but really forced me and I'm sure others to think and think deeply. You always had a deep thought, like we'd be out there talking very superficial stuff and then you'd come and drop a bomb and we're like, oh, well, I guess we have <laughs> to um, go think about this a little bit more and, you know, come back with our uh, informed opinions. <laughs> Do you have an example of that? Because I don't. Just even from like, oh, you can't use that word because you know, or not you can't, but, but that word is significant because it comes from Latin origins for, you know, pain. And it was tied to the Greek, whatever, whatever, whatever. And we're out there like, oh, okay, cool. Because you were this girl who spoke Latin, you do French, you were just very well informed. And when you were arguing your points, they were informed. They weren't just emotional or not well thought out. And it just kind of made us kind of sit up a little straighter, like, okay, you got to come with your A game when you're talking to Amanatsu now. Oh, man, it's so funny to hear you say um, this stuff about speaking and language, because I I don't remember us like ever explicitly like talking about politics or talking about issues or really talking about values. And I'm not saying that it didn't happen. I'm just saying that I don't remember that at all, because I have put high school in a box in my mind that is just, you know, it's in the back of the it's in the back of the closet and you dust it off a couple of times. Mm -hmm. But my experience of boarding school actually is that you were like my worldly friend in the boarding school environment because you like you weren't a boarder, you know, like you had a house in town that you lived at. And so 
anytime like I got to go to your house for a sleepover or hang out with you or your sisters would like send a care package or like a thing, I was always like, oh man, like this is what happens when you're not in the groupthink of the boarding school. (laughs) And so I remember you as someone where you were always so generous. Like I think that so many things I learned about like being someone who just opens up your home to people and embraces people like you were always hosting sleepovers anytime you had a snack it was the snack of like the five people that were your closest friends like you (laughs) just you know and I think that that for me it left such a deep impression of oh you can share yourself and you can share your resources and you can share so many things that you have to people so my recollection of that is that for for me you were someone who just like opened my mind and opened really my world outside of the doors of high school literally because I was there at boarding school and so it's it's just funny how like you know other people can have a a huge impact on you and then you don't I don't think I've ever told you that you know and then you just like remember it differently I have never heard that and it's it's very interesting because I, I would actually see it from my angle I looked up to you guys who were boarders because y'all had access to all those American things that we did. It like you guys got to drink Kool-Aid, you got to eat like <laughs> lasagna, enchiladas, and brownies and no bakes. All those fun little treats that people like me were like, ooh, fancy, you know? So that was so interesting that that we saw each other in the in that way. I think that the way that our school was structured, there was a lot of class warfare that was immediately built in because you had this like, you know, very large contingent of white American missionaries, mostly. And all of the structure of the school literally was to cater to them. And then once they started letting in like a lot of Nigerian kids to come to school, it was probably to offset like a financial deficit that they had where it was like, oh, yeah, like let's open the school to more people. The kids who were not American missionaries had to take an entrance exam. And then you have the structure of like the people, you know, who are like boarders and then the people who are the day kids. And if you were staying in boarding school structure like me, it probably meant that you were living in a dorm that was run by American people. And there was always this appeal that there was like more prestige to being in the boarding school structure, I guess. But I never felt about it that way. And if anything, like all of those things that you just listed, like Kool-Aid and brownies or whatever, those were literally my worst nightmare. And all of the, (laughs) you know, I was just like, God, like American people are always eating trash. Like this is just cannot, this cannot abide by this. It's a time in my life that I was not understanding that that was happening. But I also think that my, a lot of my friendship with you was definitely informed by that because There was no glint in my eye about, look at all this fancy stuff I have access to. I just wanted to have access to like real people. And you were definitely like a real like flesh and bones like human being. Mm. It was really nice. It was like here I was like friends with another like black African woman. And our family structure was not exactly the same way. But I think that because we opened up about how our families were, it was really a form of therapy for me. Like it was the first time that I started to be like really honest with people about whether there were like family issues that I was having or ways that I was thinking about what I wanted to do with my life. And so that's something that had like a really lasting effect on me. That's so sweet to hear from you. And I'm, I'm, I mean, I didn't know it then. And to some extent, I don't think I have been fully aware of it now, but I'm glad that you found that in me, in my house, um, <laughs> as a place and a space that you could open up and I think that's what French is all about. I mean, we're all wired for connection. But I think, I think going back to what you said about sleepovers, I lived for sleepovers. Like, that was a space that you could be unapologetically yourself. You could just sort of 
hang out, lay it all out, talk, get to know people beyond, you know, what you saw in school. And so I feel like for me, it was more about just the people that I was with and the connections that, that we were making. That's true. I want to talk a little bit about school itself because I feel that like the most long lasting impression that you left on me was really the importance of like studying and doing your homework and just like generally, you know, being someone that like classmates can count on. I want everyone to know that you were definitely the top of our class, you know? And so for me, it just like left this really lasting impression of like, oh yeah, like you have to be, you have to be diligent and also you have to be reliable. Can I tell you a little secret? Um, not to, you know, we talked about how this may or may not be a therapy session, but I do have a confession to make. Tell me your confession. So I think that a lot of my identity was wrapped up in my grades. So. Oh yeah, for sure. I was my grades in my mind. I remember not being able to go see, I think the Lion King might've come out around maybe sixth or seventh grade. And, you know, I love those sorts of activities. You know, it's, it's nighttime, you know, we go to the auditorium, there's a show, there's popcorn, all that fun stuff. And I wasn't allowed to go see that movie because I think I had gotten no. a, a C or maybe a B minus or something. And so all my report cards that followed after that were straight A's. And so I think that just the, the shame that I might have felt from that kind of propelled me to overcompensate and just get these straight A's because I was that girl that, you know, we all got our tests back and I'd be like, what'd you get? What'd you get? What'd you get? What'd you get? I know. I know. (laughs) Did you have friends in high school though, that you felt that the, you know, the, whether the like academic competition or the like, you know, who is going to be like a sports person of the year or whatever that dumb award was that played like a role in your friendship with them? Not really. I feel like, cause we all had like niches, right? So I felt like, my niche was academics and I felt like I was consistently doing very well in academics all through high school. So I didn't really feel like threatened per se. Now in other areas, for example, athletics, I didn't really feel threatened because that really wasn't where my identity was, you know? That thing that you're saying though about caring less because your identity is not wrapped into it is it's kind of a revelation to me now because I was like, oh yeah, like I in high school, none of my identity was wrapped up in anything that had to do with high school. And I think it's why I had a certain level of just like detachment to the whole thing because I, I was so focused on being an adult. You know, I just thought that high school was a weight station until you got to adulthood. So I was like, I am just, what does that football player say? Um, I'm just here so I don't get fined. You know, I was like, this is me. I'm like, I'm just here so I don't get fined. And then in four years, my real life can start. And so, you know, I I just like, I had not intended to make like really lasting friendships there. And I think that when when we met, it was so refreshing. I was just like, here's someone that's so different than me, but also is bomb.com. But high school was also weird because it was the first time that um, people definitely tried to bully me when I when I started at Hillcrest. People were so mean immediately where also it made it really easy not to want to fit in. And I think like because I was older, one, I was older, but also I'm like, I'm me. I'm like, you cannot bully me. Like, are you kidding? Like, this is so it's so unbecoming of everyone in <laughs> in the situation. And so I think that seeing it really quickly and being like, oh, yeah, this person's just insecure. It's why they're being mean or this person is, you know, they're just being really territorial of their like standing in this group of 29 people or this group of whatever. 
And so there was just something about it that was immediately non-threatening to me because it was so transparent what was going on. I'm sorry to hear that. had no idea that was going on. I mean, you kind of did because this is how we became friends. Is that like there was a clique of people who were being mean to me and you extended an arm out to me. Like, I don't think that you said like, hey, I'm sorry these girls are being like assholes. But you were very much like, what's your story? Like, that was the vibe, you know? And so it's funny to me that you didn't pick up on that because for me, I was like, oh, this person is kind of swimming against the tide by talking to me because no one else here is kind of interested in knowing who I am. Oh, I think it's because it wasn't, I didn't recognize it as bullying because it wasn't like the overt push you down, you know, steal your book bag or something like that. It was more of the bullying by exclusion, forcing you to sort of just stay on the outskirts. But I think I I never thought about it that way. But I guess that highlights the part of me that's always been curious about people's stories. So I think that hearing that from you helps confirm to me some of the work that I'm doing around vulnerability and shame and stuff like that. Man, Faith, that's so... Uh, can we talk about that a little bit? I'm, I'm feeling a lot of feelings. You are so integral to my own journey about learning about vulnerability and learning to release shame. Mm. You know, like, I always thought of you as someone who was like, God, like, you are light years away. You were like in the graduate school of, here's how I talk about my feelings. Here's how I communicate clearly with people. Here is how I, I deal with my grief publicly. Here's how I do all these things. And I always thought that I was in a remedial course. And so hearing you say that that is also work for you, even though I know that it's work, it's, I don't know, it's, it's making me feel a lot of feelings. It's such useful work. It's such necessary work. And honestly, I just, you know, got tired of being crippled by shame. And I think also growing up in the African context where you're groomed to hide things that are not, you know, pleasant, hide your, your pain, hide your shame. Don't bring shame to the family. Like, God forbid it really stifles you and, and, and prevents you from living your most authentic life. And um, yeah, it's a journey, but it's, it's one that's so worthwhile. See, Auntie yeah. Brene making you proud. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Faith is the number one Brene Brown fan. I feel like I'm just like catching my breath because like, yeah, you're right. We, we grew up in an African context. And then on top of it, you add this like weird religious context that reinforces so much of the shame that you feel our worlds were really small in high school. I think that like, you know, you and I stumbled into young adulthood in the same in the same ways. Like one of my happiest, happiest, happiest memories of you, Faith, is when you came home with me to, to Brussels. Ah! <laughs> I'm just laughing at the fact that we were like both in school in Texas, like, you know, romping around Europe for spring break where my family was living at the time, obviously. But I think like that that trip with like you and me. It's like one of my happiest memories of young adulthood because it was like, oh, yeah, I knew this person from high school. Look at how much our lives have changed. You know, we're doing this fun thing together. It was really important for me that you like meet my dad, you know, and that my dad like really understand you because he was so not around in my high school life. And my mom, my mom obviously like knew who you were and like she was team faith all of the way. But you know how dads are always slow on the uptake. (laughs) And so for my dad to like fall in love with you was like really, really important, but also for us to have like adventures alone in a completely other context and that like day trip we took to Paris and like doing all this other stuff. I was just like, yeah, I was like, this person is my, like we're adults now. We are not children. It was very fun. And I think it was very liberating. Which leads me to want to talk about 
what happened in our relationship thereafter. Do we want to talk about that in the spirit of vulnerability and transparency? Yeah, let's talk about it, Faith. But first, let's take a break. Yeah, you know, so we have this like time in our life where it's like away from high school, we are finally adults, we don't go to the same school. You were someone who was really, really, really supportive to me, like after my mom died. And like at this point in my life, you're a really, really old friend, you know? And then we go through this period of just not talking to each other for a long time, which I think is fair to say was really my fault because like I had a lot of things that were going on in my life that because of a particular kind of shame that I was feeling and um, a lot of just like unresolved trauma from something that was had nothing to do with you at all meant that I completely cut myself off from you. And, um, mm-hmm. and that's something that that hurt you very much. And we were not able to talk about it for a really, really long time. And in fact, the only reason that we were even able to talk about it is because you put your foot down and like reached out to me again. Yeah, I think. And, and I don't want you to say that it was your fault, because I think that at that point, I wasn't as emotionally evolved and mature as I am now where I couldn't understand that sometimes when people go through things, it's not about you. Um, and you just need to support them in the best way that you know how. And if that means supporting them from a distance, that will suffice as well. Um, and just allow people go through whatever process that they need to go through. So I, I definitely took it personally, especially after we had had that mountaintop peak experience, you know, Belgium, we're getting waffles, we're shopping in Veramoda, <laughs> the world is great. And then boom, you did not just say shopping at Veramoda as a highlight of your life. I'm just yeah. I am I will I mean, not allow that to stand. <laughs> they had coats that were long enough for my wrist, you know, I'm a, an orangutan. So like, I could actually find coats that were long enough. But yeah, we went from that to radio silence, like crickets. And I just thought, did I do something? Can I do something? what can I do, but I don't know what the issue is. So I just sort of took it personally and, um, you know, kind of called it a wash. The reason that I say that it's my fault and I, I appreciate you being like really generous and being like, it's not your fault, you know? And I'm like, sure. Like we can both be adults of saying that I think is because I am recognizing that this is a pattern that I have of when my life gets really hard or when I am, going through something that is really, really painful, whether, you know, it was like all of the stuff that like led up to me having cancer or just these other like really painful dynamics that happen in a lot of people's lives. Um, my tendency is always to go inside of myself. You know, yeah. it's just like, where is that? How do you make yourself like so small? How do you not, you know, like how do you just manage? And I'm very much like, well, all I'm trying to do is like one foot in front of the other. I think that if it was like, oh yeah, like my friendship with Faith is the only time that I've experienced this, then I would call it a wash and be like, this is a one-time thing. But it is that is in fact like not a true assertion. And so I think that, you know, as much as you are saying that, yes, like when you can have that feeling of like, I'm not connecting with someone and then you understand that it's not your fault and it has nothing to do with you. I think that like part of like my growing up and my understanding more about myself and all of the ways I am capable of hurting people who are close to me and you know and being really vulnerable is that part of that is also just like being grown up enough to say like hey I need some time for myself it has nothing to do with you 
I just need some time for myself, you know, and actually saying it out loud instead of just not reaching out. It's like it's part of like the wound and part of the shame, right? Of just like, oh, yeah, I am so focused on my own pain that I don't understand that it has reverberations for other people who love me. And that is something that has been like really eye opening and is also very challenging to deal with. Well, I'm super glad we took on the elephant in the room head on. And I think it's made for more understanding, mutual understanding and just grace, you know, life, life is, is really, really tough. That's one thing that they did not teach us. But yeah, I think, I think people are going to go through things and how they choose to handle it is how they choose to handle it. But I think as friends, it's good to be supportive and not make it all about you. I'm glad we sorted it out and we're able to come to a shared understanding of how we, how we relate going forward, because who's to say something could happen tomorrow, but I wouldn't walk away from that thinking, Oh, she's mad at me and make it about me. Right. I mean, but I, I think that that tendency is so natural though, you know, of like feeling iced out by someone and you cannot help but wonder if you did something. And that is, I don't know, like, I, I think I think a lot about it as someone who both has been on the side of like, ah, oh, did I do something wrong? Like, you know, like, what did I mess up now? Because my my sickness is that I think that everything is my fault. And my therapist is always like, Amina, like, why are you always inserting yourself in a situation that has nothing to do with you? And again, I was like, oh, yeah, thank you for reminding me the self-centeredness that I wake up with every morning. So that's great. So but I think that that tendency is really natural. And also then I am also someone who on the other side of it is someone who has made a lot of people feel that way. And I think that the only way to push forward with that is like you have to talk about it because it's not fair on both sides. But the only way that you can be really deep and close friends with someone is that you have to be able to address it. Absolutely. You cannot live a life that is not authentic, period, in any way. Got to be true to yourself, true to your relationships. Is that you or is that Brene Brown? Like, where is that coming from? That's me, boo. That's me. (laughs) You know, I'm only teasing you. I mean, that is a refrain that you have had since we were very young. So um, as far as I'm concerned, Brene Brown should cut you a check. Um, But I want to go back to this thing, though, that you're talking about vulnerability. I just wonder, like, how you think about it in in all of the relationships that you have like is it natural for you to be like I have to be vulnerable with my friends specifically or did you have to learn that in like the trial and fire of like becoming an adult because I think that a lot of messaging that I had ingested about vulnerability when I was younger is that it was something that you did in a romantic context and it had never really occurred to me that I had to like flex that same muscle in my friendships I think that um why I became so passionate about vulnerabilities because I became so crippled by shame. I'll give an example. So in high school and, you know, in the years to follow, my identity was wrapped up in faith, the perfectionist. I make good decisions. I get straight A's. This is who I am. Right. And then going through um, getting engaged and then calling off an engagement about three months to the time um, and having to sit in that shame of, wow, I really messed this one up. Like there's, there's a million fridges out there with saved day magnets that will, you know, the date will not be saved. Um, and just being able to sit in that shame for the longest time I hid, for the longest time I disconnected because shame and connection cannot coexist. 
And so that shame kept me just really paralyzed. And I didn't want to live that way. Long story short, I just really didn't want to live that way anymore. And I had to get comfortable with saying, my name is Faith, and I made a really bad decision. My name is Faith, and I make, on occasion, really bad choices. My name's Faith, my life is not perfect. My name's Faith, and my life is really messy. And that just shattered all the, you know, frames and structures that I had worked so hard for, you know, 20 plus years to put in place. And I found out that when I was able to break all those molds and just kind of step out into the world as I truly was, there was so much liberation associated with that. And I'm just, it was almost like a, a sigh of relief, like exhaling years of built up, um, you know, pretenses. And it was contagious. The more I stepped out and be- became vulnerable and shared my story, the better I felt and the more freedom and liberation it gave other people to be authentic and, and to, to share their own stories um, and even fostered more connection. So it was like the gift that kept on giving. Um, and so, so I, it was just a realization that there is no other way to live. This is the only, actually the only way to live. Um, anything other than a vulnerable life, you're cheating yourself out of the experience of living a really full life and I don't want to cheat my only get one life I don't want to cheat myself from this one life that I get to live Uh, Faith I just I want to go back to like 15 year old like me who already looked up to you so much and admired you so much and I just I couldn't believe like when we were young that I could admire you more and I do now today so that is truly blowing my mind and it's making me really happy but also like We've come so far. We've come so, so, so far. I feel that when you know someone for a really long time, and especially when you know them when you're really young, there is just, you can fall into a tendency of having that person be really static in your mind. You know, like you're always going to be like, you're you're always going to be the faith that like walked across the graduation stage, you know, and it's like, this is who you are frozen in my mind. And I think that the real gift of like, the real gift of this friendship to me is that I've seen you be so many different people and you know, not that like you're a chameleon or that you're changing, but truly that you are evolving. And, and I think that like letting go of, of so many of the things that you were when you were 15, I find that like incredibly brave because I know how much that meant to you. And I know, you know, and also I was like, Oh yeah, you were standing up like really straight already when we were kids and you had a really, you had a really strong sense of who you were. And so having watched you over the past couple of years really be like, okay, like actually I want, I want something different for myself and doing all of the work to get there. It is just, I'm just really lucky I get to be your friend. Oh, mommy, not too. So sweet. Air hug. But I do want to say that, you know, we're different people. We are very different people. We don't see things the same way. We don't see everything the same way, but I value the person that you are. I value the person mm-hmm. that you were 10, you know, 20 years ago, 10 years ago. And now, and I always will, despite the changes um, and, and evolution, like you said, we're not the same people that we were in, 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 in high school. And I just want to let you know that I'm always in your corner come, you know, hell or high water. And I just really look forward to life and evolution and growth. Um, whatever that has in store and holds for us. So here's 
Cheers. I don't have any, um, no liquids, no nothing, but um, just wanted to let you know that. I know that, Faith. You are the best. I am also just like very grateful for you. I can't believe that someone who knew the asshole that I was when I was a teenager still wants to be my friend. So that is just shocking, truly. Um, But I love you very much. And I can't wait for our next adventure. And uh, and I'm going to call you after this so uh, I can gossip with you about things that are actually more important than this podcast. I love you very much. Let's do it. Love you so much. <laughs> Faith, Bridget, legends. Love them so much. Uh, before we go, we have a quick request, which is that if you're listening to this and thinking about your own high school best friend, and maybe you want to call in and tell us a story about that long-running friendship, we would love to hear it. If you have a long-term friend who you met at some other point in life, that's awesome too. We want to hear your stories about making it through a rough patch together and how you've stayed in a long-term friendship. You can leave us a message at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. Or you can record a voice memo and email it to us at callyrgf at gmail.com. I will see you on the internet, boo-boo. I will see you on the internet. You can find us many places on the internet. Callyourgirlfriend.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, we're on all your faves. Subscribe, rate, review, you know the drill. You can call us back, leave a voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. You can email us, callyrgf at gmail.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter at callyrgf. And you can buy our book, Big Friendship, anywhere you buy books. Our theme song is by Robin, original music composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs. Our logos are by Kanisha Smead. We have editorial support from Laura Bertacci. Producer is Jordan Bailey. This podcast is produced by Gina Delva.